So welcome back to Now Open the Podcast, the sex education podcast that's more sex than education. I'm Trisha. And I am Jobim. And this, this is part is two part of our... Two. Yeah. Take it away, sir. <laughs> this, this, this is part two of our discussion of no kink at Pride. In part one, we talked about the most common arguments against having the kink community at Pride. And I think we, we discussed that in a pretty level-headed way, I think. That was... We pretty, didn't raise our fair, voices. Pretty, we didn't swear too much. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was a fair discussion. In part two, we'll talk about how the kink community has historically helped the queer community, its history at Pride, and the roots of the anti-kink movement. This podcast deals with themes, languages, and situations that may not be suitable for young audiences. If you're under the age of 18, parental guidance isn't going to help you here. Okay, so first let's get into the history of kink at Pride. So if we want to ask just uh, kink belong at Pride, we can just look to the history books mm -hmm. to see were kink people ever involved? And the answer is a uh, big From the start. Yes. From yeah. the very first pride which is at stonewall if Go you've been on. listening to our podcast for a while then you will have heard this several times over the course of several episodes already how mm -hmm. people in the kink community prominently featured in the stonewall riots for so example, like even, even actually if we go way back, like if we go like a couple decades back into the 1940s and 1950s, so leather communities really provided a lot of queer-friendly areas and some of the only queer-friendly spaces during that time. So there would be these leather bars full of leather daddies, leather dykes, people in all sorts of BDSM gear. And they would be the only ones who were accepting of the, well, at the time they were called homophiles they weren't even called homosexuals really homophiles, homophiles? yeah it's not because like love means attracted to human beings <laughs> humans all right yeah homo all right homophile got it so even as far back as that they're already good buds uh they are accepting of each other they were providing safe spaces and then when we head to stonewall the first ever pride riot there Drag at the time was considered sexually deviant and cross-dressing was illegal you know, both mm -hmm. Sylvia Rivera and Marsha P. Johnson had previous charges of cross-dressing. Right. So at the time, they were considered kinky, you know? Of course, Leather Daddies were also present at the Stonewall Inn. And the mother of Pride herself, Brenda Howard, proclaimed herself a proud by Polly and switch. I know what I want. So I think <laughs> I have found <laughs> my spiritual ancestor in mother of pride, Brenda Howard by Polly switch. I know what I want. That's just beautiful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and this is because really, as I said earlier in, in part one, the core tenet of pride is to protest against cultural norms and celebrate alternatives, like alternatives to the human experience. There was also at the time, uh, a lot of anger about unjust laws that criminalized a certain kind of sex that, that society didn't want people to be having, mm -hmm. you know? So like, 
in the same way that if you are gay, you can't really have reproductive sex with your partner, then BDSM also takes away the whole center on the reproductive value of sex, like the whole family building value right. of sex, and turns it into sex just for pure pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that's terrifying. That is terrifying to a lot of people. So right. in the 60s and the 70s, there was actually a split in the homophile movement. So a lot of the cis, het, white, middle-class gays were trying to be like, hey, let's just be as respectable and as normal as possible. Right. So that we don't rock the boat and we can prove to them that we're humans too. And then on the other side, you have the more radical resistance from your drag queens, sex workers, trans people, and of course, your kinksters. So, so these we're like, were the hey, same we can't pass people. as easily as you guys. We can't. Uh, exactly. And it's not yeah. even that. It's also, we just don't want to. What is this idea of having to pass? Right. Why can't we just love each other for the way that we are? Why, do Why we should have to we have to bend pain? over backwards? And it, it doesn't just come from a place of, again, as we talked about in, in part one, it, it doesn't come from a place of doing it for the sake of doing it. You know, it is maintaining it because it comes under a subtext of all this oppression and all of this negative bias, years and years of discrimination. There you go. Ah, oh, yeah, years and years of discrimination, right? So it is a form of protest. It is a form of reminder. Yeah, absolutely. And again, the queer community and the kink community, really, really close ties from the 40s up until the AIDS crisis, where the leather community was one of the only communities that didn't look at people with HIV as pariahs. They were one of the few people who actually took them into the community. And I was reading some stories earlier of people who... Uh, had kinksters help them deal with their HIV diagnoses. Mm -hmm. So they felt rejected by every other part of society, including the queer community. But when they went to the kink community, they found love, they found acceptance. Like people there, because they're extra knowledgeable about sexually transmitted infections and safe sex, and they're really at the forefront of like the safe sex and HIV advocacy, then the people in this community are more than, they're like, you know, we love you anyway. We'll have sex with you anyway. We are right there with you. We know exactly um, what medication you need. We know that you're undetectable because they, we know the science. They're knowledgeable, so they, they, they fear it less, and they're more accepting of it. So even during the AIDS crisis, a lot of the leather communities were helping out people who were diagnosed with medical bills. Uh, they were doing health care for them. And of course, they were keeping them. Uh, they were standing there at their side when everyone else rejected them. So it's really no surprise that there's such a good bond because these communities have taken care of each other ever since. So knowing that, you know, adding that historical shade to the whole thing gives you an idea of how dangerous it is to propose removing kink at pride because it erases an entire identity of people who helped us get to where we are now. It is saying thanks, but you know, we don't need you anymore. We're trying to fit in now. So uh, goodbye. You've outlived your usefulness. People don't want us doing that sort of thing anymore. So we're going to have to drop you. And it, that sucks. I mean, that's it kind of reminds me of what Craigslist, Backpage, and I think OnlyFans is trying to do to their sex worker user base. You know, these platforms were built by sex workers. The reason why we have these websites today is because of sex work sex workers, and yeah. how they were used 
to, to help facilitate uh, safer sex work and like better screening protocols for sex workers. And once all that money had been up and then they started transitioning to more vanilla, regular, normal, respectable things, they kicked the sex workers off the platform. And they're like, well, thanks. We don't need you anymore. Thank you for helping us. But bye. There are no more sex workers? Who the hell am I paying on OnlyFans? <laughs> They're not going to transition for very long, but they're starting to look into it, I think. They're going to become the new Patreon. So that was Summer by Lily, an indie music artist from Manila who you may know as the lovely person behind the backup vocals and keyboards of the Ransom Collective. She just released her first single, Summer, which is what you just heard, and has an upcoming album called Sun Child, which is planned to be released in August. You can stream their music now on Spotify. If you like what you hear and you want to support your beloved sexual delinquents, you can send us money like the whores we are. For less than the price of one cup of a bougie coffee per month, you can keep your favorite sex podcast up and running for many episodes to come. It comes with a lot of goodies like extra content, special shout-outs, and exclusive access to a VIP customer channel on Discord. You can even suggest an episode. It helps us out a lot, and we really appreciate it. You can donate now at code-fee.com slash nowopenph. That's ko-fi.com slash nowopenph. And now, back to the show. Well, before we go on to the rest of the discussion, we want to read an anonymous letter from one of our customers for tonight's opening oh. up. The question is, is it okay to have sex before taking a shower? Hey, hey. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Did I hear that right? Is it okay to have sex before taking a shower? Yep, you heard it right. Only if it's before midnight, because afterwards, especially if you've eaten, I'm pretty sure that gremlins pop out of you. Or is that just a mogwai? I don't know oh, what wow. this question is asking, man. Is it okay? It's okay I to think... have sex before a shower. It's okay to have sex after a shower. It's. I think if we rephrase it, it's more like, is it okay to have sex without taking a shower first? Okay. Um, hmm. There are some people who, and I know we've talked about this on previous episodes, but there is a musk. Some people have a personal musk. If, a sunset. Yeah, natural a sunset, musk. you got a natural musk. And I have had sex with people who didn't bathe for like a day or two. And I just loved the way they smelled. So it really didn't matter. Conversely, I have also had sex with people whose natural musk I didn't like. So even when they bathed and had like perfume on, just wasn't super into it. Yeah, so, so uh, it, it depends says, on... I mean, if you've been outdoors in a pandemic, duh. Unless, unless the risk of COVID turns them on. <laughs> yeah, you oh, like that, God. baby? <coughs> That's my I'm new sure thing. I'm sure COVID roleplay has happened somewhere. Uh, there, I've seen some on, on uh, Pornhub, I think. There's of been course. some COVID, like, quarantine fuck. You know, that sort of thing. <laughs> so I guess, yeah, the, the answer is not, it's okay. Like, it depends on your personal thing. If you like the musk, if your uh, partner likes the musk. Uh, if also if you're just into that whole spontaneous stuff, that can be fun yeah. too. Yeah. But as a good rule of thumb, when in doubt, shower. 
Yeah, uh, I think. Oh, yeah, that, I think that's our good bottom line answer. Uh, when in doubt, shower, but don't let the fact that you might smell bad down there stop you from having a good time if the moment is right. The bam. Yes, but please try and at least wash your balls in the in the sink or something. Just try. <laughs> I mean, if your partner likes it, who are we to say? Yeah, if your partner likes it, ask him. Then, by all means, man, ask him that shit up. (laughs) So now back to the discussion. But if you would like to send us your anonymous questions or confessions, you can submit through our now. Oh, sorry, our. You can submit through our opening up form. There you go. I'll leave the link in the comments. And so. Back and to now. the discussion. Yes. <laughs> now that we've established that kink does belong at Pride, it's been there this entire mm-hmm. time. Maybe you just weren't looking. Let's talk about where is all this hatred coming from? Why? Why do people not want kink at Pride? Where? Where is it okay, coming so from? This is, this is really interesting to me. Because the, the talk around no kink at Pride started around 2013, early, early 2010s, right? The Obama administration, right? Yes, yes, we can. Right? I thought, wait, why did it start here? I would have thought of it during the Trump administration, but no. Uh, kink at Pride has been discussed since the 2010s in the face of changing attitudes towards what we discussed in uh, part one of this episode acceptability politics or respectability politics. So, what this is, is basically just the examination of a movement's morals to judge its acceptability or its feasibility. It's just a nice way of saying character assassination, really. Uh, It's a way of character assassinating a movement. It's like, how can you be respectable if you guys are in assless chaps? Whereas we've been saying now for two parts (laughs) at this point that wearing assless chaps doesn't make anyone less acceptable or respectable especially in the context of a celebration where it is expected. So an outspoken group of millennials and Gen Z feel that pride has gotten too raunchy. And I think this is what happens when you have an entire generation of young, well-meaning people who were raised in in the thick of, of PC culture, right? And they don't get it yet. They don't know what PC culture came about as a response to. They just know that they've been steeped in it their whole lives and they're like, Yo, inclusivity, man. Like, let's let's be let's be let's think about everybody. Let's uh, let's not be obnoxious. Let's keep our heads down. And in doing so, I think they might have uh, made a little misstep, a little uh, overcorrection. But we do just... see this. There is like yeah. there was that backlash in a, a couple of years ago about the sex positivity movement. I remember this very clearly because I was supposed to do a TED talk on sex positivity, but mm-hmm. then it was like literally that was the conversation at the time it's like can you really be sex positive is that really feminist considering the society blah blah blah. like sex is still this really loaded thing so i had to completely like change my tedx talk to fit that discussion and i think it's really good that we are asking these questions we're asking how far is too far we're asking Mm -hmm. you know but i think we're also asking some of the wrong questions right instead of what's respectable Well, as you mentioned earlier, whose definition of respectable? You know, why are we not questioning right. that? Why are we why are we putting the why are we relying on the kink community to sanitize themselves so mm-hmm. that we have to, we can avoid all the tough conversations? You know, why do they have to tone themselves down to coexist? Yeah, and I was thinking about this earlier. Um, I think a good way to put it is that their heart is in the right place. It's just that they're where they're placing their their criticism is misplaced. 
right? Where they're choosing to find solutions based of where we're coming from is misplaced because their rhetoric aims to make pride more inclusive and family friendly, which I think we can all get behind, right? They, they want to pride as accessible to everyone so that people of all races and ages and walks of life can get a better understanding of what it is pride is all about, right? And who doesn't want and that? And it's really important because there have been a lot of discussions about pride seeming to be closed off to adults only, especially mm -hmm. with the proliferation of like alcohol at mm -hmm. these events. It's kind of like, sorry, if you're a child at pride, you're going to see condoms, you're going to see alcohol. Mm -hmm. People are going to get drunk because that's what yeah. pride one, is. One user wrote like with regards to no, no kink at pride that they, they had a, a condom thrown at their heads when they were 12 and it was not a pleasant experience, right? Yeah, but pro kink opposition is saying now uh, it's, it's comparing it to sanitization of queer identity and celebration, which uh, I think we discussed a lot in, in part one of this episode. Yeah, so I think... One of the things that I can also understand is that they kind of want to divorce the idea of sexual deviancy from the mm -hmm. queer community. You know, for the longest time, people thought that queer people were just like raging sex addicts who wanted to corrupt all the children, right? right? Like they thought that's what sex people, good gay people were. Speaking of uh, the children, I think that's that's a really good talking point to show how two sides of the same coin can be they're so close to one another and the message can easily be turned into another thing very, very easily. Earlier in part one, we talked about how people with more conservative values were saying, what about the children? I don't want the children seeing sex. I don't want children seeing kink. I don't want to have to explain that to my kids. And now these puritines who are LGBTQ are, are also saying, what about the kids? We should include them, right? So they're both concerned about the children and they both want no kink at pride, but the meat of it is very, very different. One is let's not expose the children to it. And the other one is we have to be able to expose the children to it. So you see, they both want the same thing. <laughs> they both want the same thing done, but because they're their, their reasons are very, very different, one seems less insidious than the other. One seems more well-meaning than the other. So when you hear an example, uh, when you hear somebody say no kink at pride and you hear the, the part of it that you agree with, it's easy to forget why it's dangerous, why doing so neglects an identity and hurts it as well. So Jabim, why don't you tell us a little bit about Operation Pridefall? Because <laughs> oh, you, were talking, you were talking about how like it doesn't mm -hmm. really seem insidious, but mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I think that if we examine where a lot of this noise is coming from mm -hmm. you know it's really hard to trace mm -hmm. patient zero on the yes. internet for like an idea but i think we've been able to draw some connections to this thing called operation pride fall so why don't you yes. let our customers know what that is okay so operation pride fall we've talked about you know the sphincter of the internet 4chan in a previous episode when we discussed uh, rule 34 so you, you already have a pretty good idea of what 4chan is. They released these psyops, psychological operations, you know, on uh, minorities. They're basically just like angry teenagers, you know, angry te but, but they never grew out of that. So they're people in their 30s and 40s, and they're just angry teenagers. But they have like um, they, 4chan really has a, a big reach. If anyone wants to check it out does. Feels Good Man, which is a documentary about Pepe the Frog, the guy who mm -hmm. created it, and his journey to reclaim it from the mm -hmm 
Nazi trolls of 4chan, you can really see the far-reaching implications of this website. They're not yeah. just anonymous trolls. Yeah. They're very, very good at what they do. And they have been behind some very real internet attacks because they have the numbers. They may not be the most uh, elegant of trolls, but they're not stupid, right? They're, they're basically a professional troll factory. And uh, in 2020, 4chan initiated a psyops on what is considered to be, uh, on what they considered to be degeneracy that is the LGBT activism. So it was more or less a very juvenile attempt at spreading homophobia and trying to get unwitting participants to ridicule the LGBT community. And what happened was they were given a folder of over a hundred memes to spread. And they were given instructions to tell their family members, young impressionable family members, to post cringeworthy stuff with hashtags that related to pride movement, to LGBTQ. And this is how smart they are about doing it, right? They figure if they can attach the idea of being queer to enough things that are disliked, to enough things that are cringy, then they can instill a dislike for being queer and LGBT in people who would otherwise not have cared. You'll see these things that you just don't like, you'll see things that are cringe, and you'll see these little hashtags and you go, what is that? And even though they have nothing to do with that, you've already formed an opinion that is not accurate of this thing. And that's what 4chan tried to do. They also targeted dating apps. They also created uh, fake accounts on dating apps to harass people who were gay with uh, offensive memes and dialogue. And there was a instruction that was released to them. It said, keep it normally palatable slash friendly wrote one organizer, indicating that they want their trolls to at first appear as reasonable commenters. This means no Nazi Hitler shit. And uh, the goal is to make them question whether what they are supporting is really the right thing. That's really insidious because they're not doing it outright. They're saying, plant the seed. It's inception. You know, just plant the seed of doubt there and let it grow on their own. Because if we spoon feed them why they shouldn't like something, they're going to catch on. But if we slowly pump them with annoying media, things that are on the surface kind of funny, you know, things that you might send to your private group of friends, but not say in public, that's where the hate spreads because they're normalizing making fun of it. They're normalizing whispering about it in small chat rooms. And like one of the reasons I, that's why I was worried about when people have good arguments against it, mm -hmm. Right, they have the right heart, mm -hmm. but that's why I'm a little bit wary and a little bit suspicious because I wonder if they had been fed something from here. Because mm -hmm. um, in some of the anti-kink at pride threads that were circulating around Twitter, they would include photos of kids around yes. kinky people dressed like dogs or whatever, and a lot or some of the photos that have been going around Twitter are actually photos lifted from a completely different event, which is not Pride, like the general Pride March. It's lifted from Folsom Street, uh, which hosts a BDSM-specific festival where people can go in their kink gear. And yes, there's whipping, candle waxing, public rope shows, play, and all sorts of things out there in the street. So they were taking these pictures and reframing them as pictures from Pride. It was added to a thread of that one of those, like, psyops folder psyops threads mm -hmm. where they were instructing people to share this against the kink movement uh, against the kinksters at pride and i see these pictures on twitter so i'm just like you are literally playing into 4chan's hand right now and mm -hmm. these pictures aren't even what you think they are 
So it's so very it's insidious. It's working. It's propaganda. It's propaganda, really. And if you thought it stopped there in the year 2020, it did not. Because in 2021, Logically.com released an investigative piece regarding uh, the spread of anti-pride propaganda through the use of popular instant messaging app Telegram, which, as we all know, is very popular for its encryption. These six Telegram accounts range in followers from 3,000 to 100,000, averaging in at just 30,000 each. Okay. Wow. Four of the channels were based in the UK and two were based in the US. The first piece of content, this is the, the thing that Trisha was talking about. The first piece of content was a series of photos of distressed children near naked people or people in fetish gear simply labeled pride rainbow flag emoji. See, so they don't really say anything. It looks as if they're trying to celebrate it. In fact, it just says pride, pride flag emoji. But the subtext, the context is it's a child being exposed to what a lot of people would th would say is inappropriate at that age. And as of the morning of June 3, that's just this month, right? It's still June, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. As of the morning of June 3, each of the memes had more than 20,000 views on the largest channel alone. Oh, and 60 to 90 comments each. These memes falsely conflate nudity, pedophilia, kink, and queer sexual expression. These harmful stereotypes have been used for generations to oppress queer people. The comments were, without exception, really horrible to read. So, I mean, that's why it's dangerous because they, they spread it through these, uh, by spreading it through Telegram, that's a very smart move. By spreading it through Telegram, you spread it on a platform that isn't open to the public where you know that the people who are going to read what you were going to say are only like-minded people. You feel safe in these groups because it's not open for public consumption. So you can be as closed-minded, you can be as bigoted as you want and these these ideas fester in these telegram groups and then they get sent out you know they don't just stop at this telegram group each telegram group is a jumping off point for these ideas to continue spreading uh, telegram is terrifying mm -hmm. uh, social media trolling and this whole just like trying to direct conversations and shift cultural paradigms through awful offensive memes that are mm -hmm. sometimes outright fabrications or lies are taken out of context. God, 4chan. God, yep. no wonder the guy who created you no longer likes you. The no, and no King of Pride is an extremely online way of phrasing this point. There is no evidence to suggest that the same people who push the No King of Pride discourse on platforms like Twitter, YouTube, and Facebook are all the same people who lurk in these Telegram chats, nor does it seem like they uh, likely that they overlap. But the narrative is the same, and it conceals right-wing or conservative cultural goals, i.e. erasing queer people from public discourse and visibility. Okay, so I think that wraps up our discussion on no kink at Pride. Hey. Yay! So what, did, what is your, what's your number one takeaway from today's episode? Uh, really just the sticky nature of dealing with younger people because not too long ago we were the younger people i still feel like we are you know uh the only the only reason i feel old is because we're talking about younger people you know like since when since when have there been younger people and they have different ideas right and it's so weird and alien to you because you kind of take for granted that the people who are younger than you will grow up with the same ideas and values and uh, in doing research for this, I came to an understanding that their, their values are different for a reason. You know, not everybody who wants something different is coming from a place of hate, although sometimes they are. That's a good way to sum it up. Uh, I guess my takeaway is different because I'm severely kinkier than you are. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> so I will die on this hill. <laughs> but I think that before you start repeating things that you see on the internet, on Twitter, uh, in Telegram, a lot of us get our news from these platforms. A lot of us don't lie. A lot of us base our opinions off of this because for many of us, this is our first exposure to certain issues or certain mm-hmm. discussions. So no kink at Pride, even though it repeats every year, there's bound to be one person who's never heard of the discourse at all. I so, just heard about it this year. Exactly. So when you hear something about this, try to do your research because you'll find some really incredible information about the history of these communities. And I feel like you'll just really learn and empathize more because I think that's really our goal on this podcast is to really just understand Mm -hmm. what society has since has long tried to misunderstand on purpose, you know? So that's a great way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so just do your research, make your own opinions of it. And yes, kink at pride. Yes. Kink at pride. <laughs> okay. Jabim, do you want to promote any of your socials? Uh, no, but I do want to promote watching Glee. I, I missed out on it the first time when it was out. For, I was too cool to watch it. You know, I was just like, yeah, oh, whatever. So I was like, yeah, I was like Mr. Rocker guy, you know? Uh, and, now I'm just getting into it, and it's so good. I'm so sad. Most of those dudes are dead. Oh, yeah. Or in jail. Or in jail. Yeah. One was a pedophile. One drowned. One died of an overdose. Yeah. A lot going yeah, on. Yeah. Great show, though. Great show. <laughs> yes. Watch Glee if you haven't. It was so ahead of its time in dealing with like. I mean, it's nothing compared to Generation or the other TV shows that we have now. But I really think now that I've watched it, I I think Glee walked so, so those shows could run. They tackle so many issues that are ahead of their time, and sometimes not in the best ways. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they had they had Cherise come on there and do like a really bad like Filipino. Jake show. Zyrus. Yeah. 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 Jake, oh yeah, yeah. Jake Zyrus now. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, go on and do like the, a bad. Uh, Filipino accent, even though I think she could she could talk better than that. Right? I think she, he could. Yeah, yeah. He, yeah. Sorry, he yeah he he had a he had a better accent than that at the time, but I think they made it they made him do a thicker one for the show. It's like mm, that's not mm, great. Ooh, Ryan Murphy, but also watch Scream Queen season one. That's an excellent show as well. Okay, yeah, I'll check that it's out. Season one. Okay, so if you want to follow me, I'm at Trisha O'Bannon on Twitter. You can stay updated with Now Open by following us on Facebook, Twitter. That's at Now Open PH. Our past episodes are also available on YouTube, Spotify, and wherever else you get your podcasts. Don't forget to join our Discord server to hang out with the hosts, fans, and friends of Now Open. And subscribe to our coffee page. That's ko-fee.com slash nowopenph to get bonus content and other special perks. So we're doing this new thing now where we record our pre-shows. And if you want to see us hang out before the show and scramble to get last minute things done in the outline, then you can subscribe to our coffee page to get a behind the scenes peek at what we do at Now Open. Yes. So I'm excited to announce next week's episode. So tune in same time, same place for our take on tops bottoms and verses this is going to be with dora who sadly could not join us for this episode but will also be joined by another special guest paulo pangilinan you may know him from the popular bl series guys sa pelicula and just an overall amazing human being so if you want to catch that that's next week tuesday 9 p.m yet See another you. episode 
where I'm going to learn so much and not have anything to contribute. <laughs> Honestly, super same. As a as a woman, this is going to be yeah. a relatively new cool. sphere it's not, for me. It's not often that you and I are on the same side of ignorance. So it's, it's going to be fun. <laughs> so see y'all when we next open.